Well, good evening, Moody Church. It's my privilege to be here and uh, open up God's Word tonight. Uh, you know, I think that uh, standalone messages like this one will be, that's not part of a broader series, uh, are sometimes a, a little bit more of a challenge to come up with. I find it easier personally if I'm just told, okay, you're going to preach this passage, it's part of this series, you know, here's your text, and, uh, and then you can kind of run, run off and just start studying that passage and, and see where it leads. Uh, but when you're told, hey, you can really preach on anything, uh, then you realize, wow, there's, what, over 31,000 verses in Scripture, and it's a little bit difficult to know exactly where to start. But as I was praying through this and asking the Lord what he would want me to talk about tonight, um, I, I was struck by the need for unity uh, as Christians because of the three primary issues that we are all facing. The first one, of course, is this never-ending pandemic. Uh, secondly is the, uh, the racial issues, the violence uh, in our society. And then, of course, third is the upcoming presidential election uh, in November and all the other elections related to that. And my concern, and I believe that many of you would share this concern, is that the disagreements that we have as God's people are too often spilling over into division in the church. And that's something that we absolutely have to avoid. Um, disagreement is something that we should expect in the church. Uh, in fact, it's, it's not even always a bad thing, right? Because when we disagree with each other, we can really learn from one another not only learn to uh, have a more biblical view on something, but also learn how to disagree in a godly way. And I would say that even if you wind up on the wrong side of most issues, and over time you've disagreed and you've uh, had godly uh, conflict and so forth with others, uh, and you find that, yeah, I was wrong most of the time, I had to change my view, um, I would find it very difficult to believe that you still weren't a benefit to your brothers and sisters in Christ through that godly interaction and through that disagreement. Because again, there's a lot that we can learn from one another. Uh, even if a Christian doesn't have uh, you know, the, the right perspective ultimately. What I have found to be true, I, I see it in Christian marriages, but also elsewhere in the church, is that disagreements are usually not simply, well, one's right, one's wrong. It's two Christians emphasizing two different important and biblical values. And the emphasis of one and the de-emphasis of another is where that conflict comes in. So conflict uh, or disagreement uh, in and of itself, not a problem. It can actually be a very helpful and healthy thing if handled in a godly way, but not so with, with the, uh, the division that comes. Some of the disagreements I find that are common among believers, uh, one would be Paul talks in Romans 14 about different you know, theological issues, non-essential theological issues. Uh, there's talking about the foods that you can eat and the different, uh, different days, whether one was more uh, holy, more valuable than the other. Uh, another area is areas of conscience where Christians disagree. You know, what kind of movies should we be able to, to watch as Christians? Um, of course, alcohol and other kind of things Christians don't always agree on. There's, there's matters of conscience there that we disagree. And also uh, church issues, even important church issues. Uh, on uh, the church budget, we might disagree on what percent of your church budget should go towards missions. And uh, one would argue for one number, another for a different number. And that's just, that's common. And that disagreement, that godly resolution of the conflict, hopefully will bring about a closer understanding of what God's will is, more unity, and um, as a former missions pastor, more money going toward missions. It would be wonderful if we all agreed on everything, right? But more importantly than agreeing on everything, that we actually had the right view, that we did things exactly the way God wanted us to do. We saw things exactly the way God wanted us to see. 
But I don't think that's going to happen until we all die and go to heaven. So in lieu of that happening right now, personally, I'm willing to live with a little bit of disagreement and to learn from it. But I don't want to minimize uh, the disagreements that we have in the church. Some of them are very serious. And nor do I want to give the idea that because we disagree, well, we'll never be able to figure out which side is, is better, which side more accurately reflects uh, the gospel or, the, or the, uh, the teachings of Jesus. I think a lot of times we can. Um, and not all views are, are equally reflective of scripture, right? Some are, are less so. Uh, and so those disagreements are real and we need to, we need to address those. Um, but it is true that for whatever reason, Christians who have the Holy Spirit living inside of them, Christians who love Jesus, who are studying God's word, are going to disagree. And I think, for example, we're, we may disagree. In fact, I know that we do disagree on what are the primary causes of and solutions to major issues like the three I mentioned earlier. You take the pandemic and uh, the, the racial violence that we're, we're seeing, the injustice in our country, um, and uh, the upcoming elections. We do not agree. In fact, we strongly disagree. Our church is a, a wonderfully diverse church. We've been blessed by God with that diversity in, in many different ways. We talk about the ethnicity, uh, differences more than 70 different nations represented. We've got age, uh, economic you know, uh, status, background, how long you've been a Christian, where you came from uh, in terms of your spiritual journey, uh, education, on and on. Uh, a, a great diversity in our church. But with that comes disagreement. We have different perspective on things, even really important things uh, like these three issues. And um, I would say that because of that, we see friction in our relationships. And unfortunately, some relationships have even ended because of that. And I think God calls us to a better way. My conviction is that we need to work a lot harder to understand and respect those who disagree with us. Uh, and it may not be something that, that you find easy to do or natural to do, but I think we have to work a lot harder to understand and respect the viewpoints of the people who disagree with us. It's something that I learned a lot more uh, when I got married. And uh, I, I didn't date very much before I got married. Uh, I have one younger sister and uh, my mom. And so I, through them, I got my, my uh, input from a woman's perspective on the world. But it's obviously very different having a wife. And uh, Carme helped me understand how men and women see things very differently. Uh, and I over time, increasingly respected her perspective as I understood it, where as a, as a newly married guy, I don't think I showed her as much respect in that area as I should have. I disagreed and I thought, okay, well, if we disagree, uh, one of us has to be wrong, can't be me, must be you. Uh, and over time, I'd really understood that wasn't always the case. In fact, it was rarely the case. Um, but I'm, I'm not convinced that, that we do that well, by and large, as Christians, at least not when I read uh, the... Uh, Twitter feeds or things on Facebook or the comment sections in, uh, in Christian magazines and the comments on different articles and so forth. There just seems to be a lot of finger pointing, uh, name calling and belittling rather than truly seeking to understand. God's word calls God's people to unity, not uniformity, not that we're all the same, not that we have to think all the same about everything, but unity where there are no sinful divisions among us but where God's love for us personally then flows through others. And we love others the way that God loves us. And that protects our relationships even when sharp disagreements arise. And I believe our passage tonight in Philippians 2 verses 1 through 4 uh, will help us to see what God wants us to do in those situations. So 
Please turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. The text will also uh, appear on the screen. Let me read. Paul writes, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. For many of us, a well-known passage. I think there's so much here for us uh, to continue to learn and to apply. And if we do, I believe we'll see, uh, even if the disagreements that we have abound, we will see far less division in the church. So from our passage tonight, I want to talk about three things related to the unity of the church. The first is the blessings of the unity with Christ. Second is the longing for unity by Paul, briefly expressed, but I think very powerfully expressed. And then third is the key to unity for the church. How do we go about getting this unity that Paul uh, so longs for and that God desires for us as well? So we'll begin with the blessings of unity of being united with Christ. And in, uh, Paul mentions four there in verse one. Basically, encouragement in Christ, comfort from God's love, participation in the Holy Spirit, and affection and sympathy. Um, before we, we dive into those, though, you'll notice in, in verse 1, Paul begins with the word so or therefore, which likely refers back to what happened previously in verses 27 through 30. And I think uh, what he's doing there is he's showing his desire to resume his appeal for unity uh, that the Philippians, in fact, be unified. Uh, on the whole, Paul's letter to the Philippians is a, is a really encouraging letter. He's so thankful for them. It's a letter that's full of joy. But we discern in this, and of course he, he identifies two women in particular that he wants to make sure are unified, uh, that they had an issue with this. Uh, and there was certainly potential, as there always is, for growth. Also, Paul's if, if there's any, if there's any, and so forth, uh, really should be understood as since. Uh, he's not actually doubting if there is any encouragement in Christ or any comfort from God's love or any participation in the Spirit. He knows that there is. And we know that there is. It's just the way that he's wording it there. Um, he's laying out these four presuppositions in order to give the Philippians some clear instruction related to unity. So he's asking these questions, and it kind of forces us to say, well, if, yeah, 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 there is. There is. And now in light of that, where do we go? So the first blessing of our unity with Christ is this encouragement in Christ or being united in Christ. So let me ask you, do you find any encouragement from being united with Christ? And I hope your answer is absolutely, absolutely. All the encouragement in the world. Jesus died for me. My sins are forgiven. They're separated as far as the east is from the west. Jesus will always be with me. I will be with him forever in heaven. He will never leave me. He'll never forsake me. He brought me into God's family. Is there encouragement in my relationship with Christ? Absolutely. Absolutely. There's too much encouragement even to remember it all. And not only is there encouragement directly from Christ, but there's encouragement from Christ through our brothers and sisters in the Lord, right? God encourages us. And it's one of the primary ways that he does encourage us through our brothers and sisters in Christ. I mean, how many times has the Lord used a brother or sister to encourage you personally? It's one of the, it's one of the reasons why it's so difficult for us not to be gathering together physically uh, regularly because those sometimes even those small interactions are what God uses to encourage us and to help us feel, hey, we are loved. It does matter that I'm here. 
Uh, God is using me to be a blessing to other people. And so I encourage you, even though we're not gathered together, you can still do it. There's a lot of different ways. You can write notes, you can call, uh, so forth and so on. But we have been encouraged that way. So again, we would say, yes, there is great encouragement in being united in Christ, both directly received from Christ, but also through our brothers and sisters uh, as well. So Paul is saying to our answer, absolutely there is. Good, okay, hold on to that answer for a minute. Wonderful. Now, the second blessing of our unity with Christ. Is there any comfort from love? And I think here he's, he's doing a, um, a, a Trinitarian formula. He's talking about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So uh, probably here, it's, is there any comfort from God's love? Do you take comfort in God's love for you? You should, right? I mean, I, I know I do. And I think as God's people, we should take great comfort in the fact that God loves us. That should inform how we view ourselves, how we view our lives, the mission God has given to us. It should impact our, our viewpoints of the world. It should, it should affect our emotions. The fact that God loves us, there should be great comfort. And if you don't, either you don't understand the love of God, or it may be that you don't truly know the Lord, that you've never really been born again in Jesus' words, and so you're not experiencing that love. And you can trust in Christ now to experience the comfort that comes from God's love. When you think about it, there is no better comfort in times of distress than recognizing the love of your heavenly father. The God who created the world, who has all things under his control, knows you personally, loves you deeply and perfectly. That changes everything, doesn't it? No matter what happens in my life, I understand this has come to me through the hands of my heavenly father who greatly loves me. Our worries and our cares can all be cast upon him, which he tells us to do, because of his great love. And so when we recognize that we are in God's hands, that God has done for, all that God has done for us by, by loving us, it gives us a burden to love others as well, to be a channel of God's love. Freely you have received, freely give, Jesus said. That seems to be the idea here. So yes, we have received great comfort from God's love. Again, directly from God, but also mediated through brothers and sisters in Christ. And so I think Paul again is saying, okay, wonderful, that's great. Good answer, hold on to that. Got another, uh, got another uh, if for you. The third blessing of our unity with Christ is our participation or fellowship with the Holy Spirit. He says, if there is any participation or fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Again, there absolutely is. So now on to the third member of the Trinity. Paul brings up this participation or fellowship or sharing that we have as God's people, right? And the idea of fellowship here is more than just the, the coffee after the, after the worship service, uh, times of just talking and so forth. It, it's a partnership, right? It's, it's kind of a business idea that we're, we're joining together in this venture and there's, there's skin in the game on our parts. We are, we are investing ourselves in this and it is the mission that God has given to us. So it's, it's a, a partnership in a, uh, in a very significant way. We are called to give ourselves wholeheartedly to this. And so as we do, um, we are united to one another because of that. And so I think here Paul is emphasizing the point that we are united with Christ personally, but also together. We are blessed by God's love personally, but also together. And we participate or have fellowship with the Holy Spirit personally, me and the Holy Spirit but also together as the body of Christ. Paul is emphasizing the objective unity that God has already given to his people through his son, Jesus. He's already achieved that unity and the Holy Spirit uh, binds us together. And he's asking us to consider all that God has done for us 
and then asking us to be channels of that to other people as well. So he's done it for us personally and also corporately, and that's our responsibility as well. So again, I think we would say, yes, there is participation and fellowship in the spirit, uh, personally, but also together. And I think, again, that's one of the reasons why we long to get back together. I, I, I love on Sunday morning walking around Moody Church uh, because I've been here for so many years and, and know so many people, uh, being able to say hi to so many people and just say, hey, how you doing? How's it going? How are your children doing? Whatever it might be. It's just such a great joy. Um, it, it far exceeds walking around on a Sunday afternoon now with basically an empty, you know, empty sanctuary, empty hallways and so forth. So I'm looking forward to, to that. So now we say yes again to Paul. Is there? Yeah, there is. Um, now the final blessing of unity with Christ, affection and sympathy. Is there any affection and sympathy? And based on the context, it probably doesn't refer primarily to our affection and sympathy, but God's. Uh, it, that does make sense, and that's kind of a secondary idea here. But it's receiving God's affection and sympathy for us. In other words, God's love and his sympathy for us, his, his affection, his compassion toward us, uh, should spill over into initially the Philippians' readiness then to hear what Paul was about to command them to do, right? If all these things are true, then here's what I want you to do. And he's setting them up and he's setting us up for that as well. He wants them to be able to hear the instruction that he's about to give them. And so kind of full in their minds and in our minds of all that God has blessed us with, we're even more eager to do what God has called us to do through Paul. It reminds me of a Colossians, uh, Colossians 3 verses 12 through 14, where Paul lays out all of the things that God had, had done for his people. He says that they, uh, um, he had chosen them, he loved them, he made them holy. And then based on that, based on those three blessings that God had bestowed upon them, he wanted them essentially to love one another so that the fruit of the Spirit would flow through them. They would bear one another's burdens, they would forgive each other, and so forth. They would act in humility and meekness and patience. Um, first, the emphasis on what God has done for us, and then kind of absorbing all that, recognizing, wow, if I've been so blessed by God, I have to pass that along to other people. So is there affection in your heart, you who have been shown God's love so richly, so abundantly? Is there affection in your heart for others? Is there a compassion in your heart for others? You who have been shown such great compassion by God. There should be, right? In fact, we should look at it and think, if I ever lack affection for anybody, if I lack compassion for someone, there is something wrong with me. I am not acknowledging what it is that God has done for me. I didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve God's love. I didn't deserve his compassion. And so that's not an excuse not to show it to somebody else. God's unconditional love and God's grace and grace is undeserved, right? That's why it's called grace. Unconditional love is undeserved. That's why it's called unconditional love. God showers us with that. And so that excuse as to why we wouldn't show it to somebody else has been effectively taken away. So the honest and the conscious, as opposed to the unconscious Christian, would say, is there affection and compassion? Absolutely there is. Yes. Far more than I deserve. Uh, far more than I could recount. Absolutely. So wonderful. Right answer, Paul would say. God has blessed us in all these different ways because of our unity with Christ. So now, what does Paul want the Philippians and us to do when we've 
rightly affirmed that those things are blessings that we've received. The unity that we have in Christ has bestowed all these great blessings on us. So what is it that Paul wants? Well, Paul wants them to be unified. He wants them to be unified in such a way that they experience the full blessing of God in being unified. It not only blesses us as God's people, but it also is used by, by the Lord to powerfully speak well of the Lord and of the gospel. So it's for the glory of God and for the advance of his kingdom, as well as for the blessing of his own people when we are unified, right? Jesus said, they'll know us by our love. And we're not loving one another when we're not unified. So how badly does Paul want that unity? How important is it to him? Well, that brings us to our second point, the longing for unity by Paul, the first part of verse two, where he says simply this, complete my joy, complete my joy. Paul has as his priority, in other words, that which would cap off, maximize, complete his joy, the advance of the gospel in the hearts of the Philippians. Now keep in mind, when he wrote this, he's in prison. He's single, he's in need, and yet what he's looking for, what would complete his joy, is the unity of the Philippians. Hearing and eventually seeing their love for one another, their ability to address conflict, even serious conflict and disagreement in a God-honoring way would complete Paul's joy. So Paul's love for the Lord and his love for God's people birthed in him this great desire to see them be unified. Again, for their own sake, for the advance of the gospel, and for the glory of God. And so I would just say this. If you and I longed for unity as much as Paul does here, as he models for us, it seems to me that we would work a lot harder than we sometimes do to maintain that unity and to protect that unity. And it would give us, by God's grace, the power to pursue that unity even when it is very difficult for us. Now, to be clear, I am not talking about unity at the expense of truth. I'm not saying that we put aside our convictions uh, and we just say, well, we're going to be unified and it doesn't make a difference even if we disagree on the essentials of the faith, who Jesus is, the nat nature of the gospel and salvation and so forth. This is not a call to water down your convictions in any area. Um, I think you should still try to persuade people that what you believe is true is true. Uh, continue to be open-minded, continue to be humble. It uh, doesn't mean we're going to pursue unity while well, I'm just not even going to uh, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut and act like I, I agree when I don't. Because even if you wind up, as I said earlier, even if you wind up being wrong most of the time, your contribution will help people understand the issue better. And I think I've learned that as the years have gone on, when I've disagreed with somebody and, and realized over time, you know, it, it's not that they're just flat out wrong all the time. Sometimes, of course, it's me. But I realize they're emphasizing a different value, as I said earlier. What it's not they don't have any truth, they do. And they, their emphasis of a value that I'm not emphasizing as much helps me appreciate that value more. And it helps me in some ways to realign my own thinking and understand, okay, well, not only is it not necessarily I'm right, he's wrong, uh, but I probably don't value that value as much as I should. And I've learned from them and hopefully they've learned from me as well. And so Again, not talking about unity at the expense of truth in any way, not talking about a unity that really just sort of pushes aside our, our disagreements, but it's a unity that is maintained even in the midst of vigorous but godly uh, disagreement. So I'm talking about prioritizing unity among God's people 
the way Jesus prayed for in John 17 and how Paul longs for it here. And again, I think that most of the time among fellow Christians who love Jesus, have the Holy Spirit living inside of them, um, you know, have a high regard for, for scripture, uh, the differences that we have uh, are not going to be of that fundamental nature. And so if those differences lead to division, we probably have a problem. And that's what Paul is calling us to address. So how do we get there? I think Paul in verses, uh, uh, last part of verse two through four, he gives us four keys or four responsibilities uh, for unity in the church. So there are four blessings to unity with Christ. Now four responsibilities that we have uh, in the pursuit of unity in the church. The first is this, being of the same mind. Then he talks about having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And then verse four, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. First, being of the same mind. Uh, it really means, uh, I think, having a certain, uh, one commentator put it this way, having a certain disposition towards something. Uh, for example, for, for life and values and people, it's a certain way of looking at things in, in general, not just specific things, right? Um, maybe we could boil that down to, it doesn't mean having the same opinions about everything, obviously, but it means it's gospel prioritizing and gospel advancing. So the gospel is first and foremost, who Jesus is, all that he has done for us, uh, recognizing that, that work of grace, that unconditional love, our own fallenness, um, our need to repent, our need to be humble and so forth. So it prioritizes the gospel uh, by having, uh, being of the same mind and it is gospel advancing. That's our goal is for the gospel to advance in our lives, but then also in the lives of other people and around the world. So being of the same mind, I think really means that we have the right biblical priorities. Uh, you know, we're, we're kind of looking at things, if you will, sort of through the same, uh, same lenses, and uh, we're still going to see things differently um, in, in, in small ways, but big picture, being of the same mind, gospel prioritizing, gospel advancing. Number two, having the same love. I think what Paul is getting at here is that the Philippians' love for one another should be the same as God's love for them, right? Uh, again, fully absorbing the love that God has for us uh, as much as we can anyway, right? But Paul was, you know, praying that, that, that we would see the height and the breadth and the depth of God's love for us. I don't think we we'll ever get there until heaven. I don't think we'll understand just how much God loves his people through Jesus. We'll, we'll always feel that sense of unworthiness uh, and we don't understand how God, who is love, can, can love someone like us as much as he truly does. But to the extent that we grow in that over time and experience the love of God and have eyes to see it better, um, you know, we're, we're not looking at it through, well, you didn't give me this or you gave me that and I didn't want it and you know, that's how I'm determining God's love. Uh, we're seeing it with more mature eyes. Uh, having that same love then means that God's freely bestowed it on me and, and I'm going to love one another. You know, I was talking with a, a, a fellow pastor not at Moody Church recently and we were talking about this very idea. Um, just that, that in our disagreements, they would be show, so overshadowed and, and uh, covered in our love for one another that how we disagree just the, the very language that we use, the tone that we use uh, would demonstrate, I love you. I, I want to understand you. I want to respect you. I want to learn from you. I want to bless you. I want to encourage you. Uh, I want to be used by God in your life. And that's the, the overwhelming sense that if someone were to watch the two of you and you would, and they would realize, oh, they disagree on that issue. What they would walk away with 
maybe even more important than the, the, the brilliant points that you might have thought you made, is, boy, they, they really love one another. And I think we can get there in all of these areas, whether you're wearing a mask right now at home in a room alone, or you're one of those folks who says, I'm never going to wear a mask. Um, your understanding of the, of the reasons for um, the, the racialized you know, violence and injustice in our country, or you're on you know, the other side, uh, no matter who you're voting for in the fall. These are, these are big, important issues, and we should be talking about them. We should be learning from one another, humbly and graciously, but really, you know, when we disagree, I think, you know, we can kind of go at it in, in a godly way uh, that, that's probably iron sharpening iron. It's going to cause some sparks to fly. But we can do that in a way that is, that is so covered in our love for one another um, that we'll walk away from those conversations blessed and encouraged. And I, I just, I, I love when I see that. I just long to see it even more. Grace is grace, like I said, because it's undeserved. Same with unconditional love. We should abound in these things as God's people because we've received them. 30 talks about being in full accord and of one mind. What one author said, together in soul. I like that, right? Almost like, think of yourself and a fellow Christian as, well, we're soulmates. We usually think about that as husband and wife. Uh, but we're together in soul. Not only that, that uh, we are to set our minds on the same things, the glory of God, the advance of God's kingdom, the love of God flowing through us, those kind of things, and then have the same worldview, that everything has to go through Christ, everything is submitted to God's word, led of the Holy Spirit. Um, but we should think and feel about things related to the gospel in the same Holy Spirit-inspired way. Now, I think it's actually a little bit easier to understand what these three things are getting at when we see the fourth thing, it becomes a little clear when Paul tells us, well, here's what you shouldn't do. Here's what you shouldn't do. And I think this really is the problem, right? He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourself. And I think you accomplish verse three by doing verse four. If we commit ourselves to the Holy Spirit, I don't want to do anything from selfish ambition or conceit. It should not be what, what I want, what's going to make me look good. Um, in humility, I want to put the needs of my brothers and sisters in Christ ahead of my own. I want those to take the priority. How are you, God, who gives me everything I need? I'm completely satisfied in you. How do you want to use me to bless others? As opposed to these interactions, you have to get something out of it. It's got to be, I, I need to be right. I want to be seen favorably, favorably by other people. Uh, in other words, your concern is primarily on yourself rather than being used by God to be a blessing to others. I think that's, that to me is a very clear way of summarizing what Paul is, is asking us to do here, right? And when we do that, when we serve one another, when we love one another that way, we have the same mind. Um, we're, we're having the same love and pursuing that uh, during these disagreements. Wow, I, that is a beautiful thing, isn't it? That's the thing that the world does not know. So I think the key to practicing this kind of humility uh, is really to follow the example of Jesus, which comes up, you know, uh, in, in Philippians chapter 2. We don't have time to get into that. But of course, he is the example of that. And he empowers us through the ministry of the Holy Spirit to do that as well. And that is the only way to, to attain true unity. So if this is important to you, and it should be, it would have completed Paul's joy. It was something that Jesus prayed for. Uh, that, that, that he longs for and desperately wants from his people. So it should be important to us. I'm going to ask you just, 
think about someone, a situation maybe that you're currently involved in and you disagree. It's a fellow believer and you go, I, I just completely disagree with their perspective on it. I, I encourage you, go before the Lord and seek him and say, how do I make sure this doesn't turn into division? And if it has, how do I reconcile with them? And maybe that person isn't going to be the one you're going to have an ongoing dialogue with about these areas. But one thing is, is certain, they need to know that you love them. That relationship needs to be characterized by love and by unity, even though you disagree. You should not be divided over those things. And God will help you to do that. And the more we work hard at that, I think the more unity that we'll have, even as our culture is just is, is, is a conflict. And it's ripping people, ripping families apart. But God's people can really, in contrast to that, show unity that's really, really remarkable and really advances the kingdom of God. And so that is, is I think, the desire of God shared through Philippians 2. It's my desire. I hope it's your desire as well. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, there are millions of different applications of this passage in all of our lives, slightly different, maybe radically different. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit who indwells your people to convict us of sin, to guide us into truth, into right living. And I pray, Father, that each one of us who hears this message, reads this passage, that we would submit ourselves to you and asking, what would you call us to do? How do I preserve, protect, prioritize the unity of the body of Christ? I never want to be one who causes division. I want to handle disagreements in a godly way. Father, speak to each one of us. Guide each one of us in what you would have us to do for the unity of the church, which is a great blessing for your people, which advances your kingdom, and which brings you glory and honor. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.